Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me is my special guest from the Spongebob episode. He's also a New York City-based actor, well, kind of New York City-based actor, and has an Instagram called Max Sommelier. It is Derek Speedy, everyone. Welcome back, Derek. Hello, hello, hello. You're... You're not, you haven't forgiven me for the Spongebob episode yet? Uh, you know what? I have. I have. Okay. It was, well, that conversation wasn't that bad. I mean, we had a conversation. <laughs> I didn't shit on it too hard. I could have I gone harder. Could have gone harder. But I did it. I didn't want to ruin your childhood hopes and dreams on it. <laughs> well, this is, two things with this one is one, I think I actually chose, you know, like, a musical movie you this time did. we can actually talk about some songs you did and even though as we will learn this is also very very much based in my childhood and very very dear to my heart I'm gonna try and I think I was a little a little too eager to talk about Spongebob last time so I'm gonna try and rein it in a little bit you know well obviously we're talking about Mamma Mia because it's <laughs> people saw the title of it on the episode why did you pick this one? Okay, so back in the day, I uh, used to always go um, to Canada with my uncle, my cousin, and my dad. We'd go for, you know, a boys weekend to Canada. We'd go see some hockey games. I grew up playing ice hockey. And, you know, what better road trip music than the ABBA anthology oh, God. <laughs> for boys weekend of course so my dad had uh the four discs I think it was four discs four discs set of the ABBA anthology and his Volvo and um we would always listen to it and I just I loved it <laughs> and so when time came for uh my introduction to the world of musical theater my parents had won tickets to Mamma Mia and they knew I loved ABBA <laughs> So it was my first ever musical on Broadway that I saw was Mamma Mia. Really? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I have some ties with Mamma Mia. I'll tell you them later. <laughs> Maybe during the episode. Who knows? Um, so the movie Mamma Mia came out in 2008, which it was still on Broadway at the time, I believe, right? The show? I believe so, yeah. Uh, at the Winter Garden Theater. That, yes. But then it moved, didn't it? It moved to, hold on. It moved to the Broadhurst Theater. Oh, of course, the uh, Broadhurst. In 2013. So Yeah, I was shocked when you said this was 2008, because I saw this movie in theaters. 2008. Uh, it is... Written by the book writer, Katherine Johnson. Music and lyrics, obviously, by Benny Anderson and Bjorn Ulvaeus. Directed by... What were those names? Want to hit me me with those names one more time? Benny Anderson and Bjorn Ulvaeus. Nice. That was good. You didn't have any confidence the first time. I wanted you to have more confidence in those those Swedish names. (laughs) 
The Swedes. Um, the Swedes. Directed by Felita Lloyd, which I'm sorry if I'm saying that name wrong. I'm not, don't, don't make me do it again because I, I won't. I mess it up every time. And then according to IMDb, it's the story of a bride to be trying to find her real father, told using hit songs by the popular 1970s group ABBA. That'll never get old. <laughs> that description. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, what an interesting. Well, that's actually the, where I want to start with this. Is you know, I, I, I was surprised by the story of this, uh, of this jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. Like I think of something like Rock of Ages, where like it's very like you know it's set in a rock bar. Like it's very much about about rockers. Like this is not about swedes like it's not about the disco era it's no. it's 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 about the in calicari which is i think supposed to be a greek island yeah right yes yes um not gonna lie on my other podcast bb deja vu we did an episode comparing mamma mia to this other movie called walking on sunshine so i have a feeling a lot of the stuff that you're gonna say will be new to you but i'm gonna be like i heard this already and that's one of them where we're like it's a jukebox musical with swedish music set in greece around a wedding (laughs) i mean we'll dive into this more but i actually shocked at how well it works and i think it's an interesting story i don't think it's necessarily that groundbreaking but i do think that it was i just thought it was a really interesting choice of just you know we want to tell a story with these songs and what instead of saying hey here's the story we want to tell how do the songs fit in I feel like they chose the songs that they knew they wanted to put in and they they tried to build a story around that and what story are these songs telling together which I thought was a smarter choice for well, sure while watching it though re-watching it for this episode um it feels like there were a few clunkers. For in you my mean opinion. the last half hour of the entire movie in particular? Bes- beside Take a Chance on Me. Of course. Uh, shout out to Julie Waters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, slipping, th- uh, slipping through my fingers, I get it. The winner takes it all is the one where I'm just like, this is like where it starts to get a little weird because... It feels like the lyric, though it like kind of makes sense where she's just like, no, um, I'm always the loser. So I can't, obviously we're not going to work well together, but like the lyrics themselves don't really help. (laughs) I don't think we needed three verses of it. Like both of those songs, we didn't need two four minute 11 o'clock numbers by Meryl. We love Meryl, but we didn't need two four o'clock, 11 o'clock numbers right after each other that are both slow and really not much of a power ballad at all. I mean, and, I, I would pick slipping through my fingers over winner takes it all. Personally. Oh, for sure. But what I did like was, and this was something I was thinking about is I feel like the first 45 minutes, really the first half of the movie. And, and even in the, the musical, like the first act that's where all of like the biggest numbers are. And I think that's where they got the most clever in the storytelling, even as the director and how they changed it from the stage musical. I think that there was a lot more, maybe subtleties is not a word that's going to come up for this movie, but I thought some more interesting choices where like it got to the point, 
I almost felt like it was directed by somebody else for the last 30 minutes because winner takes it all was just if it wasn't Meryl I mean it would like who's making brilliant behavioral choices with that fucking shawl and like she's 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 being brilliant and she's she's trying to find ways to you know fill the screen with pictures that people enjoy watching and telling the story but I mean, if you look at Pierce Brosnan, which we can talk more about him, but like, and he literally just touches his head three different times. That's that's what his reactions are in that scene because there's just nothing else to do. It's just this person singing at you for four minutes saying the same thing. He didn't have a shawl to like play with. <laughs> no, it wore a cravat, no cravat. He was showing the, the chest hair. Should have had a hat, maybe. <laughs> a nice fedora. A nice fedora to like take off wipe his brow put it back on take off hang it by the side play with it a little just something but instead the wave crashes over him and he yells Donna! <laughs> that so, was i was watching this with my girlfriend and that was when i turned her and i went this movie's fucking ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and then that leads to the the wedding itself like i wrote i wrote this as a question but i'm gonna just say it as a statement the writing just felt bonkers and off the wall. I don't remember the stage version that well. I only saw it once. Uh, how many times have you seen it? I've seen it twice. I saw it once when I was eight years old, and then I saw it again in high school. Because like, I feel like the dialogue there kind of works for stage because it's so overdramatic and everything. But then for the movie, where... I mean, yes, you have like, you have that whole dream sequence with Donna and money, money, money. And then you have the townsfolk. Also ridiculous. The townsfolk dancing on the pier, which I fucking love. But it just feels like that dialogue is a little out there. It's very much like, oh, let's, it's, it's, it's the musical theater wrap up. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, yeah, so much of this movie was, again, I, I think they, they made really interesting choices to make it different from the stage show and making it a film and, you know, changing things up. Whereas, yeah, that last little bit feels like they didn't make any choices to, you know, to make it a film instead of a stage play. Well, so the state, speaking of the stage version, it was written and directed by the same team. I think I said that. It's the brainchild of producer Judy Kramer. I don't, I didn't really delve deep into her. Do you know her by name? I don't know her by name. And this is the one I didn't really like, like, how did this get made? So she came up with this idea. The people need an ABBA musical. She came, she came up with the idea after, let me read it here. She met with the song with uh, Benny and Bjorn, basically. And um, once they were working on chess. And oh, so this is post-chess. This is post-chess, yes. Um, and obviously post the breakup of uh, uh, ABBA um, and their marriages. Because fun fact, they, both of, all four people were, it was two couples. <laughs> it was it A, B, and B, A? Yeah. Ab and Ba were... <laughs> were couples and um once they were popular for a decade like they 
they rose, they shot to fame once they won Eurovision Song Contest with Waterloo. And then once they were like super famous, um, that affected their personal lives and destroyed their marriages. No, who could have seen that coming? Nobody. <laughs> but then Judy Kramer uh, met with Bjorn and Benny um, and she wanted to like potentially write a musical around their music. Uh, she went to Katherine Johnson for the book in 97. And then in 98, she went to Felita Lloyd to be the director of the show. And then it opened on the West End in 99. I mean, prob- I'm, I'm, I'm making it sound like it was on, like, like it, w- it was bombshell on the show Smash where, you know, it was just one after another, after another, done. But like, I feel like, I feel like the I'm reading it. I just read it off the Wikipedia. There might be more details that happened that either are not on there or I skipped. So it it doesn't seem like in a three year period they were like idea. Now it's a thing. It is currently the ninth longest running Broadway show. Is it really? Uh huh. How many performances? Five thousand five hundred, uh, five thousand seven hundred fifty-eight. Five hundred fifty-eight. It is above Beauty and the Beast, and below O Calcutta. And I think this oh, list on Calcutta. Wikipedia is counting the revivals as performances, so that's why O Calcutta is on there. But it's the longest-running jukebox musical on Broadway. Wow, go Mamma Mia. I want to say maybe like Rock of Ages is second. It's gotta be, yeah. Or somewhere in the top five. But this show and movie is very similar to a 1968 film called Buena Sera, Mrs. Campbell, which starred Gina Lola Brigida. She plays an Italian woman who gets pregnant after sleeping with three men in the course of like a week and a half. Um, <laughs> And she cons them to pay child support. They don't know about each other, but she, she's like, hey, you, this is your kid. So she gets three different child supports from the men and it's set in Italy. So that's- oh, not, 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 not in a made up Greek island? Not on a made up Greek island. I think that's why they changed it. Cause they're like Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> what i think of abba i think the mediterranean yeah. <laughs> the choreographer for the movie was the choreographer for the stage show really because I, yes. I i thought I, lo- I loved the choreography in this movie oh yeah um there were which one was it that i was just like ooh, maybe a better choice oh does your mother know i feel like you could they could have done more with that yeah but i do love uh christine bransky was she doing like the mashed potato or something like (laughs) i love that oh the best part i mean the best the best two people in this movie are christine bransky and julie waters hands down hands down 100 percent, absolutely and that that was funny i so i listened to so i watched the movie then um i i listened to the london cast recording because i wanted to see some of the things that were different and then I went back and I listened to a couple of the songs actually recorded by ABBA. 
And I, I, I do think they made a very good choice in switching that song to, um, to Tanya, uh, to Tanya singing it to a younger boy instead of the way Abba recorded it is, you know, a man singing it to a younger woman and says, uh, like, instead of the word kid, he, they use the word chick. And I was like, this feels a little creepier. But now it does your mother know it's funnier in the movie. It's, it's, a, it's a great, great number. Um, I, I saw that they cut for four songs from the stage version for this one. And one of them is like one of my favorite ones from the stage version, which is Under Attack. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, was, I mean, I get it. It's the act two song. So there's like really no, I mean, she Sophie faints and then they have to move on with the story. But like, they could have done a whole nightmare sequence with that. For sure. <laughs> and it's funny. There, there are two moments from when I saw the stage show when I was younger that absolutely stick out to me. That like are, you know, my first experiences on seeing a show on Broadway. And one of them is Under Attack. And like listening to that, the on track, like it's pretty intense and a little scary. I think I remember being pretty scared by it. Oh, and it's yeah. dark, you know, and I've never really been in a theater before. And then there's all the sound and like, but then like, I, I, I still just remember the bed being in the center of the stage. And I think there's a couple other beds that come out and like the sheets are flying. And then the other moment is when they do the curtain call Waterloo. Um, that uh, my dad, I think everyone was standing and clapping and dancing, you know, and I couldn't see. So I stood on the chair um, in the theater and my dad was holding me by my my belt buckle like just by like, the cuff of my pants or my waistband and so I'm like I'm like eight-year-old Derek just dancing and jiving and the woman who played Donna like made eye contact with me and she like she's she's you know she's this adorable young boy she 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 was she was grooving with me and dancing and then the chair slipped and I started to fall <gasps> and my dad had me the whole time I was fine but like you could watch her on stage go, oh no, and like kind of reach out towards me. Like she broke character totally and reached out towards me. And then, so like, I don't know, there was something like about that too, where to be like, oh, this is a real person. This is what acting is. Like, you know, these are real people. And like, it, what, like, just like, what a fun first show experience. So, oh, that's adorable. Little, little D speeds almost fell, kind of. I know, <laughs> kind of. Not really. I don't know. But yeah, no, the choreography, the other moment, of course, is Dancing Queen when they're all on the pier dancing. And what is it? What is it? What is it? Lay all your love on me with the scuba tires, with the flippers, the fucking flippers. Okay, so you know my co-host on movie Deja Vu is Shane. I do indeed. Um, when we brought that up on our episode, she called it like the best thing on film. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the whole boys she's like that that is the reason why film exists shout out shady because i texted her when i saw that part i was like this is the best part <laughs> and it's so funny like i remember i saw this you know in 2008 when it was in theaters it was my first summer at stage door manor where we eventually would meet and so we have a oh, we have wow. a movie day and I remember being like, you know, 12 years old. And I was like, I was pissed off. I was like, I don't want to go see Mamma Mia. Like there's, I don't know, that's probably like a Spider-Man movie out. <laughs> probably. Um, or Batman movie, you know. And I wanted to go see that, but I don't think I was old enough. So I had to go see Mamma Mia. 
And I just remember us all ripping into it and making fun of it. And like, you know, especially like with, with the flippers in particular, and like, we always, we thought like, this is the worst movie. And now I watch it again. I'm like, this is fucking brilliant. It's so genius. But like little Derek Speedy with the ABBA. I know. I was, and everything. but I was, I was 12. I was, you know, I was, I was, I was ready to be an adult. You're peer pressured so, into thinking it's not cool. Even though you were like, this is the best thing ever, guys. I will say though, I will say, um, gimme, gimme a man up to midnight. And um, voulez-vous? Like even now, like that's like that's a, that's sexy. It stirs something in me. Ah, like- uh, I'm happy because they're supposed to. I feel like in the stage version, there's a song in between. There is it. Yeah, it's knowing me, knowing you. No, what's the name of the game? Name of the game. Name of the game. That's it. Um, and I'm happy that they cut it because. I mean, uh, they filmed it, but then they eventually cut it because it was, it would have slowed it down a little too much. I feel like that's what happens on the stage show too. Like you have uh, Gimme, 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 A Man After Midnight. And you're like, yeah, we're dancing. We're bopping along. And then is it Knowing Me, Knowing You? It's Name of the Game. Name of the Game. That's it. That's what we said. Then it's Name of the Game. And you're like, oh, slow song. I really, I really no and i thought that like you know like i i believe they kept the the music running under when stellan stellan skazgod and uh amanda seyfried are talking like i thought it was a it's a really good acting moment between the two of them and i'm then i'm glad that we can jump right back into you know keeping that energy up and the chaos of it all right um but no those two numbers like because there's dancing and like you know, everyone's clearly like, I guess, supposed to be intoxicated because it's a bachelorette party, and like all the fucking, all the fucking uh, men in the party coming from the mountains and masks. <laughs> but no, it's so, there's something about it that like still like got me, got me stirred a little bit, and so did lay all your love on me when they're like about to like when they're making out like on the beach on the <laughs> on the sand, and like she's like. She's she's in that she's in that gorgeous one piece, you know. We we love a good one piece. Um, I don't, like yeah, we're gonna cut that. I don't like how I said that. We're gonna cut that. Okay. Um, but no, when when they're like basically making out in the sand. Um, but then like yeah, and they're just like flirting with each other, and it's the first first time you actually get to see them and their relationship and the way that they talk to each other, and it's like you know young people about to get married. Like it's a little it's 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 sexy and like the the arrow to the heart. I don't know. There is, again, at 12 years old, that's when all those hormones are stirring. And um, I don't know. I got transported back to that. A little nostalgic. Uh, Do you think Sophie is the worst in this whole movie? Like, she's, like, the worst person? Uh, It's, like, it's the kind of thing where, like, I give her a pass for the first 30, like, 20 minutes, and then I'm like, why haven't you just said anything? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Like, at first I get, okay, you know, you don't, it's the kind of thing too where she's like, you you haven't met Meryl yet, or you haven't met Donna. And so she's like, you know, my mom would never understand. I'd like it's it's so dangerous. I have to just like, they need to get here and then we'll figure it out. And then it's like you meet Meryl Streep and like she's so cool. And you're like, you guys couldn't just talk about this? She's so cool. So you meet Sky and he's like the best person ever because he just goes with the flow. He wants to make her happy. But it feels like she uses him in a way. 
Yeah. I don't know. I mean, awesome. When he says to her, like, so that's why you wanted to have this wedding? You wanted it so you could find your dad? Yeah. And she's that's... like, no. And it's like, kind of. Yeah, it's kind of exactly what you said in the first 10 <laughs> minutes of the, of the movie. Are you sure? You may want to reevaluate your life, Sophie. <laughs> uh, who do you think the actual father is? It's so funny because I remember, I think when I saw it growing up, I, I thought it was Sam. I thought it was clearly Sam. Uh, according to IMDb, uh, Catherine Johnson and Felita Lloyd confirmed that it's Bill. I was gonna, I was gonna say, I, but I think it's Bill because that makes sense. You know, the the great aunt Sophia. And then also, they changed him for the movie because in the stage show he's a an Australian. Yeah, so Bill movie, Austin. Yeah, so in the movie he is Swedish. And has ties to the original band, Ergo. He's the real father. Boom. Ooh, yeah, Bill Anderson. Bill Anderson. Um, and I like, I liked that they got rid of. Um, actually, I don't like that they got rid of. Thank you for the music. I know it's in. I know it's technically at the end, and it's right. on the soundtrack. But I don't. I um. That song was always so. I thought, I, for some reason, I remember that song being such a bigger part of the musical, which it really wasn't. But I thought it, I, I thought it was way bigger. I thought it was like the um, the frame of "I Have a Dream." I thought it was "Thank You for the Music" was actually the frame. No, wait, they sing "Thank You for the Music." Nope, it's "Our Last Summer." That's it. And that's what. But I actually think that was a stronger choice of making that the song that Harry plays on guitar. And then having all three of the the fo- possible fathers kind of join in and have that be about uh, all three of them. I thought yeah. that was a much stronger choice and that we didn't need two of those songs. I agree. It makes sense in terms of the movie. I mean, and even in the stage show, if they, it's bound for a revival at this point because it's been, it hasn't been 10 years yet, but it's, it's getting there. Um, and so if they wanted to move some songs around to make it more like the movie, they certainly can. <laughs> yes, I agree. Um, but bring back Under Attack, please. But and do attack. not bring back One of Us. One of us is crying. <laughs> but please have... One of us is lying. But please have your Sam sing SOS like Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Uh, this was the other thing we used to always make fun of. We called uh, it, I'm just going to quote what 12 year old Derek called it because I don't want to speak ill of anybody, but we called it the dying whale voice. Uh, you know what? You guys... Pierce Brosnan has never stated that he's a singer. So, <laughs> no, true. But it's so funny to see, he, like, during that song, too, again, I'm looking behaviorally as like an actor. And the, th- the things that he does, he, he clearly is just not comfortable singing. So he's like, moving he moves his arm once in the door frame and then moves it again and then moves it right back to the same thing like he's not in acting comfort mode because he's not he's making interesting choices as an actor when he's in the scenes but when he's singing he he, you can tell he's freezing yeah and when he sings when all is said and done you're like oh we have to listen to more of you (laughs) also again why did he have to do two verses of that just let him sing it once and, and call it and then have we, Meryl get, the, we take, get the gist. Take the reins or somebody else. 
I do dislike the hate that people give Amanda Seyfried because she has the flutter in her vibrato. I think she has a gorgeous voice and I think she's a brilliant actor. This is the first I'm hearing of this. Oh, I remember, especially when Les Mis came out, people were like oh, well. dissing her. Well, I mean, Les that's, Mis an, is that's another, 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 that's another episode. But That's another beast, but like, I think it works for her. Because she's playing the ingenue yeah. rule, roles that it calls for. It's not no, there's it. something like almost canary-like in, in that too, that where there's like this flutter, it almost does sound like a, yeah. you know, that's kind of the role, again, the role that Sophie's meant to be. Like I asked you, she's kind of the worst, but like not really. Mm-hmm. And she's the ingenue and she's, she has a panic attack in the show. So like, it kind of works. Yeah, uh, totally. And I, I give I give Amanda Seyfried so much credit and rewatching this and then listening to the, the London cast recording that I think, again, this is just listening to the cast recording, but the way that Sophie's portrayed in the musical, because I mean, just because it's a little bit bigger and a little more melodramatic, it's so annoying. And like, mm. I think Sophie really is the worst. And I do think that Amanda Seyfried did a really good job. Um, yeah, and she doesn't do that lilty thing all the time, right? Uh, I mean, in every line of every song, she doesn't do it. No, she does, no. But she, I mean, it, it's it her natural in, vibrato, yeah. Right. It happens in every song, but it's like, it doesn't seem like she's forcing it. It's just like, it's her. No, it's just her Her voice is so spinny. And there's just so much spin. Um, How well do you remember the jumpsuits in the original stage version? Not well at all. But, I, but again, I do remember Waterloo, them coming out in them. And, you know, that's when I was like, that's when I was, re- when he, little Derek was ready to go. He was ready to dance and ready for a good time. All right. So fun story from John here. Back in 2012, I worked in a costume shop where they built those suits. And... <laughs> I got a chance to work on one of the Super Trooper suits. So in Super Mm. Trooper, they have silvery, white, creamy suits. And then at the end, during the encores, it's the rainbow. It's the color one. So for Super Trooper, I was hand sewing on all of these rhinestones that um you didn't just bedazzle it come on that they didn't you have to hand sew them on because actors like to move and you don't want things falling off all the time yeah we're the worst aren't we yeah actors wanting to i didn't say that you did but like i mean also you want to make sure that it's also for safety because like while you're moving around dancing and everything else obviously these costs the the jumpsuit costumes are probably the most hazardous costumes ever because you've got bell sleeves bell bottoms ruffles this that other thing and so like one false move you can like not only rip your costume but like injure yourself so if you want like that little star rhinestone to not fall off i mean (laughs) gotta hammer it down with um thread and all that but watching this movie i kind of had like nom flashbacks of it because <laughs> it was like 40 hours worth of work that i had to do in 12 
and I didn't even I don't remember finishing it <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah it was it was wild because it was like a a new cast was coming in and they were like you have to you have to replace the jumpsuit I'm just sitting there like sewing as fast as I can and I'm just like I can't do it <laughs> I there were like five people helping me with this too with one jumpsuit <laughs> the beauty of live theater live theater everyone and you know this is 2012 this is like well into their run so obviously they've had millions of jumpsuits to choose from <laughs> but they needed that one and they needed it now well yeah we were supposed to also do the colored one and then because this one they they realized was not getting done in time i mean granted they gave they didn't give me enough time to do it so not my fault they were like "Ooh, we're just gonna do the white one the colored one will come when the colored one comes <laughs> it'll it'll be there when it gets there it'll be there when it gets and i only had to do one of them so so rewatching this movie my fingers started bleeding again and <laughs> <laughs> i just saw rhinestones everywhere and I cried instead of seeing stars you saw rhinestones so seeing stars I saw rhinestones yes i cried a little thanks d speeds uh, <laughs> i do i do like the the donna and the dynamos kind of callback and like that because i i do think that does bring in you know the abba the eurovision of it all like it, it does make that relevant yeah that that brings in the 70s, 70s element yeah. but like and then you watch the the sequel which another another episode but like Oh boy, <laughs> that sequel, man. Have you seen it? Well, what I liked, I have not seen it yet. But what I, but I, uh, but the fact that they even made a sequel, what I like about it, and what I feel, again, watching this again now that I'm like, look, not twelve years old, trying to be cool. Like, I do think it's brilliant because, like, they're very self-aware. They're like, we are not trying to tell this amazing, heartfelt story. That's not our primary. Like, we we understand we're the we're the ABBA musical. We get it. So like they just like some of the again uh anything Julie Waters does. It's fucking brilliant. But like in the sequel, you know who like the big star is of that one, right? Or like the big yes. cameo is. So Cher, who is in that one, was originally supposed to play Tanya in this movie, the first one. <laughs> oh, is that why Christine Fransky's hair is cut like Cher? No, she has short hair. Oh, she does? Okay. Uh, she, unfortunately, Cher had a decline due to a tour that she was doing. Um, but then, obviously, she came back. They kind of yeah to play the mom. They, <laughs> to they play kinda, her mom. They kind of like rewrote history because there is clearly a line in Mamma Mia where like Donna's looking up at at the ceiling. And she's like, "My mom's up there looking down on me." <laughs> no, it's not even just that one line. Like they like in the first 10 minutes they mention it at least 3 times that the mother is that the that her mom is dead. Yep. So, apparently she's not dead. She's dead to Donna, but not dead. Yeah. But then Donna's dead. <laughs> Cuz Meryl don't do sequels. Meryl do sequels for the right price, but Meryl Meryl was busy. <laughs> well no, that's what they said. Apparently they said the reason she didn't do it is because Meryl doesn't like to do sequels. Oh really? Yeah, that was that was what I read. Because I was trying I was trying to see at first I was like, are they just gonna repeat the same songs? I was like, what songs are left? And they well, actually do a good job. They there's there a lot of a other f- 
there's a few repeats because obviously it's the crowd favorites you got to go for. Yeah. But Fernando had a lot of songs. The way, oh, you need to watch the sequel because the way that they put Fernando in there will just have you screaming for joy. (laughs) Well, the one thing we haven't talked about yet, um, and I don't, this, you, you may not, you may be blissfully unaware of this, but do you know the A-teens? Oh, I love the A-teens. Oh yeah. The A-teens were a big young Derek favorite. I loved that. Upside down, bouncing on the ceiling. And it wasn't until I was in college when I realized the A in A-teens stands for ABBA. They are an ABBA, Swedish teen ABBA tribute band. You poor, poor little thing. (laughs) I didn't know. I was like, oh, they just like doing Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen. No, you are. The ABBA generation. That's their tribute album. Oh, you, you sweet little baby boy. <laughs> I know. But also, it's so crazy to me is that nobody remembers. I, I, I started singing Upside Down, Bouncing Off the Ceiling, Inside Out, something, something, something. But nobody, uh, nobody, nobody my age remembers that. But I, was, I thought it was, I thought they were huge. I mean, they are, uh, they were active from 98 until 2006. And then apparently they have their own careers. I and then they sw- were no longer teens. They were A adults. A, a adults. I could have sworn one of them was like a kid of, you know, Ab or Ba. Mm-hmm. But I could be I wrong. I think you're right. Um, well, then also, I was, I was listening to, I listened to a couple of their covers and I was shocked to find that, like, they sound more like 70s versions of the song than the songs that were written in the 70s. Like, just the production of it all and, like, the the way that the, like, the synth is hitting and some of the production. It just sounds so cheap and so, like, cheesy 70s. <laughs> it's really funny. I, I, uh, I remember getting that album. And then with it, you got with the CD, you got another CD that like you could watch the music videos on your home computer or whatever. So old. <laughs> Derek, you gotta remember so, I'm older than you, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not in, not in soul and spirit. I'm, I'm a 50 year old man in soul and spirit. I'm about a 75 year old woman in soul and spirit. <laughs> I, I'm curious if you think that there were any songs that didn't help the story that didn't that they that felt a little more forced uh when all said and done and the winner takes it all like yeah, we said already the you got the two five uh, 11 o'clock numbers that back to back just pick one and then when all said and done i feel like it didn't need to happen or you could have replaced it with another song yeah i just don't think it needed to happen <laughs> But I do think I do, um, again, give them a lot of credit. And as in with Rock of Ages, you know, we're meeting these very big characters in Rock of Ages. So but we kind of know who they are. You know, we know these kind of characters that these are, you know, just people. I mean, there is obviously the ingenue role and that, that those stocks. Right. But and, you know, the goofy, the goofy friends. Mm-hmm. But. That being said, like, I, I think the fact that, like, you know, we meet Sophie singing I Have a Dream, 
then we meet Donna. Um, her first song is Money. And, you know, like, it, I really do think that, like, using these pre-existing 70s great numbers, they really introduce really nice characters and tell stories. And I, I give I, I give them a lot of credit because I don't know what other story could have been told with this music. Oh, you could pick other things, too. Like, pretty sure if you if you give me, like, two weeks i could probably write a write a synopsis of something <laughs> all right well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna check back in in two weeks and see how well you did Fuck. wait wait wait. these songs are all of alba abba's discography do i okay, have that's fair that's fair well i'm saying but these are like these are the big ones that had to be in there right well i mean i would have loved to put angel eyes in i i love angel eyes yes i love angel eyes too that's the one i've been trying to remember because there's, I always remember there was one song, I think it was Angel Eyes, that I always loved on the ABBA anthology. And I always asked my dad to play it. I don't remember, I don't remember, but I remember it like making me feel a little like melancholy. Yeah, so I have- like one of the first times I had a song feel that way. I have the ABBA Gold and then more ABBA Gold albums, which is basically their greatest hits. So if I'm allowed to use songs from those, that is, that's about all, 39 all of songs. ABBA Gold. All of Abba Gold is in the musical. Uh, no. Well, technically, yes. Fernando's the only one that's not in it. But True. if you listen carefully in the movie, you hear Donna humming it before Mamma Mia, the titular song. <laughs> oh, also in Mamma Mia, when um, she <laughs> she finally, you know, I love in the movie that she falls in and falls on the air mattress. But in the musical, the line is like, well, you guys have to get out of here and I have to go get something out of my hand purse or whatever, or handbag or whatever. And I was like, what a dumb line. I was like, that's awful. Like, like I thought we established like Donna's a badass. Like, <laughs> what a strange line to put in. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's British humor. God damn it. Yeah, sure. Uh, Derek, let's go into Sharp and Flat at this point. Unless let's is there anything it. else you want to therapize over? No, we're going we're gonna to get to one thing that we have not talked about in my Sharp. I've got a few things that we didn't talk about. I'm good this episode. I'm learning, finally. Sharp Flat. We're going to highlight some more moments or moments that we've talked about. If we liked it, it's Sharp. And if we didn't like it, it's Flat. Derek, I'm going to let you go first. What are your sharp moments? Julie Waters and Christine Baranski, already mentioned. Damn it, I have the same. Uh, Dame Julie Waters, get it right. Oh, oh. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> um, I wrote that in all caps on my outline. Just be like, Christine Baranski and Dame Julie Waters. <laughs> but, oh, I mean, holy shit. Just like, especially in Dancing Queen 2, the little, the little choices that they make. I think this was the, my first exposure to Meryl Streep when I was a kid. I think this was like the first movie I really saw of Meryl Streep. But like even watching them all see each other and reunite, watching Meryl like go down the pier and just run and zigzag across, just like she and like with her hands in the air and those overalls. Like, what a great choice! Like, like, like there's a reason she's you know the greatest actor. <laughs> um, but all, all three of them have just 
little choices that show that they're having fun. And I just can't imagine what being on set with the three of them in particular must have been like. Because there's just so many like like Chikakita when, when Dame Julie Waters is on all fours and Christine Peransky's over the <laughs> staring into the bathroom stall. Such a good moment. But the other thing that we used to make fun of so much, but that is so brilliant, is the island locals. Yes. The ensemble. And what's really cool, what I started to when I started to listen to the OG by Abba and then listening to the the original bra- uh, original London cast recording, hearing how they used the ensemble to give that full kind of group vocal sound that Abba's really known for, that it has the blending of you have people, you know, going out and doing solos, but coming back and it sounds like there's a bunch of people singing at the same time because there were four of them. And so like making it feel like a group and having that sound together, especially using um, this, this like the island local ensemble, but just the comedic moments of it too. I wonder if there's like a little strangeness with it. I don't know. I mean, I did like that one woman uh, during Dancing Queen who has like the bundle of sticks and then she just drops them. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it really goes in on her voice, too. Yes. Um, I think that w- they were greatly underutilized, though, because they were utilized in the beginning. Again, I think this is where I say that it kind of feels like two different movies at some points. Mm. That, you know, we we were including all of the, the locals and having them as part of these big numbers. And then they start having some of the younger people who we've never seen before, who are all the wedding guests, who are the like the contemporaries of Sky and Sophie, who just and then like show you, up, and then you never see like any of them again. They're around the the wedding guests or the 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 locals. Both. I mean, they're like kind of around, but they're not involved in the numbers really anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, you see them in I do, I do, I like I do, I do, I do take a chance on me like you do see them at the end it's just you Uh, know you're you're also like trying to stay awake because it's so boring at that point (laughs) fair but like i think that they got highlighted way more that's instead of just being part of the set dressing that is true they were their own character like the ensemble was a character whereas i didn't feel that near the end i feel like we're just trying to finish the story and wrap it up that we don't have time for everybody who is involved in this movie. I wrote down um, Sky being the perfect man as a sharp is like he puts <laughs> up with a lot of shit. Clearly his soon to be future mother-in-law does not want them to be married and like he kind of knows it because like she's not hiding that fact that she doesn't want them no. to be married. So he doesn't want the whole big song and dance number for the wedding but you know he goes along with it. So it and then like, gets a song and dance number. And then gets a song and dance number with his bros. <laughs> his best bros. And then uh, I also wrote down whatever drugs that Meryl Streep was on. True. She's having the having no, the time, time of her life. <laughs> they really, it really looks like they are. It looks like it was so much fun. Because There's some scenes that I'm just like, you're a little too much for me right now you are definitely on something 
like that the the uh when you were talking about the the pier with uh uh christine baranski and dame Julie waters coming i was like that's a little too too much for me <laughs> you're clearly on something madam especially She's if this excited is... <laughs> oh another <laughs> sharp real quick is the uh the jeep that she drives in the beginning <laughs> that is then never seen again <laughs> yeah. uh what are your flats uh all the flat notes that pierce Brosnan is. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean he's a great singer but again no i don't want to i don't want to you know be too negative on him i do think he's actually a great person to play that role i just you know I, he's not a, he doesn't claim to be a singer and then the other flat I would say is when the fountain explodes, when it goes really Aphrodite. slow motion. Aphrodite. <laughs> yeah, that whole Aphrodite's fountain. I don't remember that being part of the stage show. And I was like, I think they, yeah, where you added, you could have not been added. Not following through on some of the ensemble. Again, making so many cuts in the beginning and making it really flow nicely until the last 30 minutes. And that's when, like, some of this, like, also how she gets to the top of the, the mountain so quickly. Like, there's things questions. that start, stop making sense. And it's just, I kind of feel like they gave up in the last half hour. I also wrote down as a flat Sophie's friends not being fully realized individuals. Yeah, they're in there for one number. They're, they're there and then they're not there and then they're back and then they're, they go away forever. And you're like, okay. No, but then she's there to help Tanya with uh, Pepper. That's true. Uh, but then they're gone forever after that. Then they're gone forever. Fun fact, uh, one of my first ever auditions uh, was for Pepper in the National Tour. I'm so proud of you. I think I was like 17. It was I was bad. actually going to ask you... Um, I forgot to ask you, like, if you actually auditioned for this. So you did, technically. I did. It was it was real bad. I am not a... The w- same way that Pierce Brosnan is uh, not a uh, proclaimed singer, I'm not a proclaimed dancer. And that is a very dance-heavy role. <sighs> Oof. Um, I didn't like Donna slut-shaming herself. I mean... Yeah. I mean, girl, sex-positive. We are a sex-positive podcast here. Absolutely. No such... Unless, you know, you are sleeping with, like, a new person every hour on the hour. That's a little different. But, like, yeah. Three guys in a month? Hey. Three three guys in, like, two weeks? Whatever. Sounds like February. (laughs) Dear Speedy, is there something you need to tell us? But you're No, no, no. no. I'm very happy in a relationship. (laughs) Um, I also don't like how they downplayed Harry's homosexuality somewhat yeah a little gay panic too because <laughs> like i know in the show he alludes to it a lot and then at the end it's revealed because he keeps i remember i remember listen i i didn't re-listen to the cast album but i do remember on there he keeps saying my other half won't agree with me and all that meaning that he's in a relationship with a man so they kind of <laughs> Kind of gay panicked on that end. And then also... And then they made, like, the one joke when they're in the boat when it's Bill and Bill and Harry. Yeah. Um, and then, like, they make the one joke and it's like, okay, like, this, like, I get what you're doing here, but also, like, you have not set it up to earn this joke. Not that it's a very good joke, either. But the joke, the, the punchline that ends up coming is uh, 
Bill is naked, basically. Like that, <laughs> that, that was something I was just like, whoa, okay, but whoa, <laughs> unexpected. And then also at the end, during the encore, there is something going on with Colin Firth's jumpsuit where around his sleeves, there was a piece of thread just going around. I don't think it was part of the... Um... <laughs> don't judge me, Derek Speedy. <laughs> I don't think it was part of the fringe trim, but I think it was like it shredding. I was just like, it's distracting for me and me alone. <laughs> you, you probably couldn't care less about it, but I'm watching it going, there's the set costume person, just like clip it off. <laughs> but in that same sequence, <laughs> I think alluding to the possibility that Mero was indeed on something when she goes, y'all want some more? Oh my God. That was probably like, the last thing that they filmed and clearly at three in the morning and she's just like, another take? You want me to do this? Yeah, I want some more! (laughs) D-Speeds, what songs would you add to your life's playlist from the movie? Not the stage version from the movie. I know, I know. From the movie, take a chance on me. Always. Absolutely always. But in particular, Dame Julie Waters. (laughs) Whispering to Stella and Scott's guy. I'm I'm gonna make a speech. I'm gonna come on. <laughs> um, as well as, oh, sorry. No, you the don't. one other one would be would be Mama Mia. Because from from the ABBA anthology to the 18s to the movie, that's a song that's it's, it's been with me for a long time. I've carried that in my heart for so long. All right, I'm gonna see those two songs and raise you. A dancing queen, lay all your love on me, gimme, 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 voulez-vous, and does your mother know? I'm keeping, okay, can we also talk really briefly about honey, honey, money, 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 gimme, gimme? I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. That's ABBA for you. I can't say anything here or there. They did, the producers of the movie, though, did want Benny and Bjorn to write a new song so they can be up for the original song Oscar and both of them were like no (laughs) no no we don't do ecstasy anymore you're not getting an original song from us you're getting you're getting this and this alone we look at our entire anthology there's enough (laughs) if you could play anyone anyone gender aside in this movie who would it be? Hmm. Or in the state? Okay, we'll even go to as far as the stage version because clearly the movie's done with. But like, <laughs> I would say either Donna or Harry. Okay. No, no, I'm sorry. Take I take all those back. I just want to be Julie Waters. <laughs> Not be Rosie. You want to be Julie Waters. I just want to be Julie Waters. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be Christine Baranski. So there you go. Great. All right. <laughs> and Derek, that's uh that's it. That's the show. We did that's it. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Well, I as exhilarating as this was, I think it I think it may have uh wiped me out. And uh I'm on dose number two of Dr. Fauci's healthy juice. So I'm gonna take a nap. If you want to reach out to me and talk about how awful we were talking about Mamma Mia or whatever, or if you wanted to like, you know, help me write this musical because Derek has challenged me to it 
you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. And if you want to be part of next episode conversation, we're going to be talking about the sequel to this movie, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Well, D Speeds, this was fun. Let's A do it again sometime. Yes, please. We have one more planned, and then I may have you come back again and be like, hey, talk about this show now. <laughs> if I must. If you must. All right, bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.